Hey, podcast listeners, Meg here. I'm so excited to tell you that we have a new free training for you. It's by autistic speech language pathologist, Rachel Dorsey, and it's on strengths-based goal writing. I know how hard it is to be on the ground trying to do neurodiversity affirming work without always knowing exactly how to do it. But the best place to start is right at the beginning with your goals. And in this 40-minute training, Rachel cuts right to the chase in teaching you how the old paradigm misses the mark and working through really specific case studies to teach you what strengths-based goal writing really looks like in OT and SLP practice. It's only 40 minutes and it's totally transformative. Check out the free training at learnplaythrive.com slash goals masterclass. Welcome to the Two Sides of the Spectrum podcast, a place where we explore research, amplify autistic voices, and change the way we think about autism in life and in our professional therapy practices. I'm Meg Proctor from learnplaythrive.com. Before we get started, a quick note on language. On this podcast, you'll hear me and many of my guests use identity-affirming language. That means we say autistic person rather than person with autism. What we're hearing from the majority of autistic adults is that autism is a part of their identity that they don't need to be separated from. Autism is not a disease. It's a different way of thinking and learning. Join me in embracing the word autistic to help reduce the stigma. Welcome to episode 43 with Macy Satantio. Macy is an openly autistic family and inclusivity consultant. She's also the founder of Autism Career Pathways, which is a nonprofit with a mission to improve the quality of lives and expand opportunities for meaningful employment for all neurodivergent people. Through ACP's events, Macy works to engage everyone and the business community to create more inclusive spaces. After working with families for three decades, Macy firmly believes that nurturing one's autistic authenticity is a critical first foundation to meaningful self-advocacy, a career path, and living the best life as an autistic person. In this episode, we talk about what we can do to support autistic people from childhood through adulthood in finding true, authentic meaning and connection in their daily lives. And I ask Macy some of your most pressing questions, like how to work with parents who might be asking for a compliance-based approach. We go into work, parent coaching, and what an applied growth mindset really looks like for us and for our neurodivergent clients. Whether you work with very young kids or adults, this episode is truly for everyone. Here's the interview. Hi, Macy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me today, Meg. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here talking with you. Macy, I want to start with your story. How did you wind up here running a nonprofit related to neurodivergence and meaningful work? Well, I actually have been working with autistic individuals. I started working with autistic kids 30 years ago as an undergraduate at UCLA. And I am a former 
behaviorist. That's actually how I got into this field and fell in love with autistic kids 30 years ago. So I happened to be working as a classroom assistant at Los Angeles Unified School District. And that was an autism classroom. And many of those little kids, they were part of the UCLA Young Autism Project under Dr. Ivar Lovas. So that's how I got started. I'm going to pause there. We've talked about Lovas on the podcast before, but for people who might not be familiar, he's Mm -hmm. sort of the father of ABA with the infamous quote about autistic people not being human, but that we needed to sort of piece them together and make them fully human. Right. But I think for me, I really enjoyed working with my little people, autistic individuals, and the topic of autism and psychology and human behaviors and sports watching, those are all still my special interests today. Right. So then I think because I'm autistic myself, I felt something was not right just intuitively and I really tried to put together a more holistic approach even after doing what I knew best to implement for 12 years because I just kept getting myself trained just trying to put together better pieces from my clients but I noticed that my clients even though they were able to, for example, participate in school very successfully, close to independently, you know, there was still something missing. And at that point, I couldn't really figure out exactly why, because I took pride in like really being creative and providing uh, and designing programs that were more outside of the box, if you want to say that, right? So then... I basically ditch it. (laughs) I said, okay, I just, it's enough for me. And I walked away from it and I got certified in a relationship-based program called Relationship Development Intervention. And I, to me, that made more sense. And it's very different than training people to become therapists and providing parent training where it was more instructional-based. And in a relationship-based program, like such as RDI and also floor time, it's very different because it's all about developing your own intuitiveness to be able to follow this child, right? And so at our clinic, we, my husband and I both work as parent coaches for 20 years and When I work with a client, they become like part of my family. You know, we visit, we do stuff together. And of course, they grew up. And even though they are excellent pizza connoisseur, they still can't get a job, couldn't get a job, summer job at Domino's, right? Because they were not able to talk about their strength and they can't compete with other neurotypical job seekers, right? So that's how I started in 2019. I said, what's the point if all my clients, I've known them since they were like five, seven, and they're now in their 20s. Some were able to finish college. 
and the world's not ready for, you know, this. the world's not ready for neurodivergent people. It's, it's just, so yeah, so that, that's why I created the nonprofit Autism Career Pathways. But I think our nonprofits, how we're different is that we want to engage with our community. I realize that we can't tell people what they should do. We can't just give people a checklist. We have to really empower people and influence people to want to make room for neurodivergent people. And that's not easy. So so that's why you know, we'll talk more about ACP, Autism Career Pathways, but I think that's probably enough yeah. <laughs> information. <laughs> no, th- that's really interesting information. And right. the threads that I can sort of follow through it pretty intensely are how you were looking at what you were doing with this bigger lens and that was attuned to your values and your intuition as a person about what felt and didn't feel right. And you were able to look beyond, well, this is how I was trained to, what am I doing? And I hear your process of unlearning ableism, which we're all doing, autistic and non-autistic people Mm -hmm. are unlearning ableism and trying to figure out how to do something different. And I really enjoy hearing about how much curiosity fueled you that you kept saying. And I just wondered what the missing piece was. And I wondered if I could be doing something different. And then I saw that what I was doing was great, but it was leading to kids who couldn't get that sense of fulfillment in work. And I wondered what could be done around that. And I also hearing you say that the work wasn't all on the kid. You said the world isn't ready. So how do we not just teach our clients skills, but how do we, at the risk of sounding cliche, how do we also change the world, right? Well, I think that everyone has to start with compassion. I know it sounds also cliche, but I actually put three things on my sticky note. You know, um, I think everyone has an opportunity to be a game changer. Three things, right? Be the game changer. Figure out how each one of us can be the game changer, right? And then once you understand what you can do, then you have to change the narrative for neurodivergent people, you know, for our community. You know, you have to be the influencer, if you want to call it that, because we can't dictate and instruct people. You should do this and this and this and this. That wouldn't work. Uh, when I did ABA, that was the formula. We instruct, we do a checklist, we write things down, we train people very quickly. We can't. Because we're here, like me and so many other therapists trying to figure out what would be the best way to do. We're here because we love the people we serve, right? So number three, going back to that, is then you have to take part in the story, right? Whether you're parents, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a therapist, uh, or business owners, or mentors at work, job coaches. Those are the three things. When you meet a new person, neurodivergent or not, 
But if you're working as a job coach, you will work with autistic people. You start over, like drop everything that you've been trained and things that you start over because that person in front of you deserve your your investment in time and in the relationship right and and i think it works both ways people forget about this right i learn so much from my clients i learn so much from other autistic adults who whose journey they they were ahead of me and with my own diagnosis i realized that i i'm not here today because <clears throat> i was self made i wasn't self made i had parents, especially my mom, who just follow her instinct to really figure out how to support me, you know, and I was, I struggled in school a lot. And now I know why I was a very slow reader. So my mom had to sit with me after school to help me catch up with schoolwork. (laughs) Because in the old days, we didn't have all these Therapy options, you do the best that you can. I had, I have a dyscalculia, some uh, number dyslexia. So I, my math ability is still very, very terrible. So I had a math tutor and, you know, my mom really did the best that she could. The one thing she knew how to do very well was just to give me real life experiences. She took me to work. She took me to the market. Um, My dad also did it, but he did it his own way, you know? Um, So I think that was really amazing qualities. I'm very lucky that I didn't have these like typical Asian parents were very focused on academics and achievements and performance because they knew that wasn't for me. So I wasn't book smart at all, but I became street smart over time through my struggles because uh, part of it, I knew that I've done my best and my parents accepted that I've done my best. Like I would wake up at four in the morning to study for math tests and I still get (laughs) like terrible, terrible, terrible grades. Uh, in all my math subjects. And you could hide that uh, from other people, like other friends. They don't know because the only one seeing your, you know, school marks, it, the, my your parents would know about it, but you can hide that. So I was really good at like just keeping it together and yeah. So see, I digress. What was your question? Yeah, no, no. So I, I really love... <laughs> your your three points that you keep on your post-it notes yeah. about figuring out what yeah. we can do, like what role can we play? And yes. then getting in the arena, right? Doing mm-hmm. the work, even though we don't have it all figured out yet, just getting in yes. the arena. And then also you said, kind of forget everything you've been taught and right. meet your autistic clients yeah. authentically and openly. And then I right. also really love your story because it highlights how you have built your life on your strengths right. and on those real life experiences. I would venture that 4 a.m. Mm. cramming for math is not the like foundational yeah. building block of your life. You've really built it on your strengths. And I want to circle back around to meaningful work because that's mm-hmm. where you've landed a little bit in your own work. How do you define meaningful work in the context that you work in? 
Yes. So this is what Autism Club Pathways really want to do. We want to spotlight autistic people's stories and autistic excellence in our community. Um, We want to figure out how autistic people can mentor other autistic people. Autistic people buy autistic products, you know, like all of this, you know, because within our own community, it's, it's very important that we support each other within the autistic community. And then hopefully we can engage with the autism community and our bigger community so we can support each other. But to me, when it comes to meaningful work or meaningful life in general, I think that depends on the individual, right? So I think that's where the roles of parents become so important because parents are the ones who would notice progress and progress doesn't have expiration date. You can learn to drive at the age of 40. You can, I failed finishing up my master's degree. I had to do it again much, much later in my forties, you know, and it was still hard, you know, but I, I did it, you know, and meaningful work to me, it's really about having something that you can look forward towards to when you wake up in the morning right? In, in what, however you're doing it, how much time you spend on it, you know, where you, you, your heart is in it and you, you're willing to, to wake up in the morning and do the best that you can to fulfill the expectations. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, work is not, I mean, to me, I like meaningful life because some of my non-speaking adult clients, for example, Big Al's Toffee is someone who I actually was working with him um, when he was three as an, um, he's ABA therapist when he was three. And now he's, I think, 27, 28, and his business is Big Al's Bass. Uh, unfortunately, he moved to San Diego, so I don't have a toffee supplier now in the Bay Area. But that's a really amazing story how... You know, I follow this family. I follow Alex and his meaningful work, if you want to call it that, is his toffee business. He does everything independently from making the toffee packaging. The, the He doesn't drive, but he delivers the toffee. Uh, he goes to markets and fair and he's very, very successful. But that's something that if you ask Alex, like, what do you do with the money? He probably doesn't care about the money. He just loves the process. Meaningful work means you can do the process and you enjoy it and you feel productive doing it. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to untangle meaningful life from meaningful work given our like productivity driven culture. And you would like to, right? You would like to say, yeah, our, our worth and our self-value is tied to our life, not to our work. And right. we spend right. so much time at work for better or for mm-hmm. worse in the world yes. we live in. It's really a lot easier to feel joy and find meaning. If you do, like you said, get to look forward to what you're doing and yeah. your work and feel like you're bringing your strengths to it. Yes. Yes. And I think it helps to... 
uh, help you to also regulate yourself because it's familiar. There's rhythm to it. And I think it doesn't matter, going back to the example of Alex, it doesn't matter if some days he doesn't do anything. So, but he also does a lot of volunteer work in the community. So, like I said, no one is self-made, right? So he has supportive parents, just like my parents, who in the creative way, they have created family goals and they go for it together. They love to travel. They actually love to visit all kinds of breweries and they wanted Alex to take part of that culture. So they figure it out. They find connections in the community and they make it happen, you know, and whether it's paid work or volunteer work, uh, you know, someone like Alex, he's very busy. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so that, that's, that's, I think in my mind, how you define that meaningful work. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you tracing some of your clients' lives mm-hmm. from childhood through adulthood, mm-hmm. which is such a useful perspective that you get to have. Mm-hmm. A lot of the therapists who listen to this podcast work with yeah. adolescents or kids or even young mm-hmm. kids, given that kids grow into adults, what advice yes. do you have to those therapists? I think that is, again, it's just unfortunate because today what we learn in school is not necessarily going to help us become the best therapists or clinicians or teachers or mentors at work. Because again, I think the responsibility falls on you to really figure out in, in this relationship, do we have a mutual understanding to invest in each other so we can learn from each other? You know, yes, adult guides are more experienced, but each child you work with has, I guess, a door that you have to unlock. And once you open that door, more doors will open up. You know, that's maybe it's a good visual. And sometimes it takes a while to figure it out. You know, I think autistic people, autistic neurodivergent clinicians are great because we are very curious creatures, you know, and we can hyper-focus. We're also great out-of-the-box thinker, you know. So always have the mindset of my knowledge for this person is never going to be enough because if I'm not reading the clues, you know, because I'm stuck in my own ways or, you know, the programs or the goals that I have um, created, you know, or, or maybe other team members have created, you know, it's very hard actually. <laughs> yeah. Because there are a lot of goals that you have to let go. Yeah. Yeah. I, we do neurotypical therapists like myself have so much to learn from autistic therapists. And like mm-hmm. you're saying, it's not just specific information. Yeah. It's a mindset that yes. we can learn. I, I yes. interviewed Sarah Salvaggi Hernandez once during yep. a summit on autistic strengths. And she said, 
it seems like neurotypicals just need to already know everything and be right. She said, and I just don't relate to that at all. I'm so yeah. used to being open and curious and being wrong over and over and over right. again. And that Correct. doesn't assault my sense of self like it seems Correct. to for neurotypicals. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, a lot of us listening went, oh man, yeah. that's yeah. an area for growth. Yeah. So here's another tip for people who love working with autistic individuals. Don't focus on the problem. It's very easy because parents come to you with a list of problems. Can you make my child talk? Can you make him stop running around? Can you make him look at me? You know, all this wish list, right? And remember, parents, especially parents of newly diagnosed autistic kids, they're all in the crisis mindset. When they give you that list, actually, they want acknowledgement and they want to be validated. That's our role, I think, number one, is to validate how our client, whether it's the child or the parents, feel. We have to be good listeners first, right? So if we focus on the problem, then one, I think it gets very distracting because you can't keep track of things because you just, and it's, to me, it's like digging a hole, you have a hole, you're covering it up, then other holes pop up, except the holes get deeper, deeper and deeper. You know, you have to work harder to fix it. But then you're actually not working on important developmental foundational pieces that would serve and really support this young person to be able to self-advocate, to grow up and know who they are. You know, and I think a diagnosis is nothing if you don't have self-acceptance. Yeah, that just has come up over and over and over again that our goals should be for our clients to know themselves, Mm -hmm. to know their strengths, to know what kinds of supports that they need for the people around them to know how to support them and for them to be able to ask for what they need when it's not freely given. But that starting with knowing and accepting yourself. Right. And not skipping that, I think the the other big barrier is obviously the medical model, right? That we yes. are, even if we went to graduate programs that didn't train us to use this deficit-based lens, which is right. pretty rare, we get that standardized test and we get that evaluation template yeah. and we get the insurance standards and it's like, right. find the deficits, treat the deficits, yeah. meet the goals. Yeah. It's not serving anybody, like you said. No, no. And that's what I mean. You got to be able to change the narrative for each client because the language you use to describe them, it's damaging. You know, imagine, I always tell everyone, you know, if you write a report for a client, imagine your client can read it. Imagine your client is sitting there during IEP meetings. How would your client feel? How would your student feel? You know, I should, I want to ban the word behaviors deficit, social skills, <laughs> you know, yeah. because autistic people have the skills, yeah. but we, because we're not supported, we, we have the dots, but we don't know how to connect the dots because we're not supported because we don't speak the language. I mean, we speak a different language, yeah. you know? So it's like, there is no manual for places and expectations that we are expected to be successful in. Right. Right. Yeah. It goes back to that idea that there's this cultural difference that we're not bridging Mm -hmm. 
well. I do want to say for people who get stuck on the documentation piece, we did talk about mm-hmm. this in episode 12 of the podcast that right. we can write strengths-based evaluations and goals and still build them to interns and still bring them to the IEP team. We talk about that there. Um, Since Mm -hmm. you have so much experience, Macy, working with parents, Mm -hmm. another question I get a lot from listeners is, therapists say, what do I do when I'm working with a parent who is asking me for a compliance-based or Mm -hmm. behavioral approach? Do you have advice to these folks? Well, uh, they're asking you those type of goals because they've been told that that's that's the stand the best practices right so i think we have to first of all help parents get out of that crisis mindset because when you're in that crisis mindset you want a quick fix right and unfortunately these type of goals focusing on changing behaviors we think that it's measurable progress because our eyes can see the improvement. You know, a child who cannot sit before and now the child can sit and do a puzzle, you know. In a medical and research world, that's what we could easily measure, right? But when you talk about emotional intelligence, when you talk about competence, all the stuff that falls under executive functioning, it's very hard to measure those kind of progress, right? Especially for people who are using different communication methods. You know, it's different because they can't say, oh, oh yeah, I, I hear you. I get it. I know how to do this, <laughs> right? Yeah, and the yeah. thing we're not measuring with that kid who learns to sit yes. still is what impact does this have on them? What are they pushing down to sit still? What needs are they not meeting? And what needs are they learning that they can't ask to be met? When mm-hmm. we just measure observable behavior, we're, we're missing the child's internal experience yes. and saying it yes. doesn't matter. Yeah. So I would say, because I do this all the time with parents, Just I just talk to parents all the time, parents of newly diagnosed kids. Like I always talk about the difference between fix it and growth mindset because it's different. We want, of course, to uh, be able to nurture growth mindset because that's going to carry our little kids into adulthood and living their best lives in their own way, right? Not like fixing what really is challenging for us, of course, because of the sensory differences. Uh, again, not focusing on the problem. And I think being a good listener to parents and helping them with getting out of the crisis mindset a little bit at a time may, and, and do it in a creative way. Show videos maybe of autistic teens talking on YouTube videos because parents need to be able to kind of foresee into the future a little bit, but not get scared. So you, as a therapist, you don't want to give TMI too much information because believe me, it's already TMI for each parent because of the internet, all these things that people tell them to do or things they read. It's very, very scary. It's a scary place for parents. So our job is to actually help parents to slow down And just really focus on what they can, you know. And I think 
for all of us working with kids, I think the parent training or the parent training approach would be helping parents to see and understand the possibilities through us, you know, and that's why I think if we really focus on that, what am I trying to help my client to understand and really um, just engage and get the feel of it's happening? I see that, you know, and this is maybe like the materials or these toys to, you know, it's really, those are vehicles. Those are not important, but you, what you have to really focus on is what kind of support works to help you as a therapist, along with the client to get there. Right. And that then you share with the parents. So I think that, I think it's hard. I really struggle at the beginning, but you know, when I switched gear, then I really was able to do that. So when I describe my session to parents, I can help them understand better. And also videotape, you know, it's videotaping. It's great because it's just to share with parents. This is what I was thinking as I was doing this particular uh, practicing this particular objective and this is what I was thinking and I had to slow down. I had to, you know what I mean? Just because it's just so rich. A human mind is so rich and that's what we need to empower parents to understand. Helping a child to make decisions is very, when you think about it, making a decision, you know, what do we want to wear today? It's a very complex, you know what I mean? So you can't teach that by repetitions. <laughs> Today's Monday, you were red. <laughs> right. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I hear you saying that you hold space for where the parents are. You right. listen to it. And right. you want to slowly and thoughtfully sort of open up the possibility of right. your kid is, okay, your kid is yeah. cool. Here's all the possibilities. Yeah. And let's start by knowing them and accepting them and see where we can go. But you're modeling yeah. that right. through the work and you're cluing yes. the parents and yes. how you think about the process, right. how you think about the child right. so that they have something different modeled for them that they can try when they're trying yes. to figure out how to support their child. Yes. But probably all they've seen is deficit and compliance-based right. approaches. So that's what people think supporting means. Absolutely. And honestly, I didn't know when I started this that giving parents instruction to do what I do successfully doesn't work at home <laughs> because home is a different environment and we can't provide parent training like that. And when I was doing... Um, when I became parent coaches, we had this intensive immersion program where we actually take parents to stay with us. Parents come from all over the world and we book, what is that called? Like hotel with a kitchenette, uh, hotel apartments, right? So then we actually work with, we observe and work with them from nine to five, sometimes three to nine. It was a lot of work for a week. So we really understand this family's culture. It was a really humbling experience. You know, I see why parents struggle because they have kids who were very aggressive. I saw how a family, for example, who did not 
wasn't able to go out to eat at a restaurant because their daughter became very, very stressed out, you know, and just they couldn't manage it. So can you imagine you haven't been out at a restaurant for years, right? So these are stories, real stories that I think a lot of professionals, clinicians don't see. And when we give parents an assignment on a piece of paper, practice this, and parents feel very, very guilty. Like they're not able to do that. They don't have it in them to be able to carry any assignments, you know, but they may be afraid to admit that. Like, I can't, I haven't done it, (laughs) you know? So this is, again, if we focus on the problems, this is a very unhealthy culture and there is no nurturing relationship with parents because parents are our partners, right? Um, did I answer your question? You did, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like so much of, of what you're seeing is shifting away from performance and achievement and this mindset yes. that therapists have of, we want to feel good about what we just did in our session right. towards being able to ask a bigger question and right. to step back and right. to not know and to be curious. And it does feel really right. good when you execute a perfect session in your clinic and the kid does yes. the things and meets the goals and you're like, oh, I'm a good therapist. Absolutely. And then maybe it doesn't matter. Like maybe what you just did doesn't matter at all. It just sort of fed your ego. I'm saying this from my own experience. Yes. I've, I've done this. I've been like, yeah, nailed it. And then, you know, when I really get honest and talk to the parents, they're like, this doesn't, this is very different from what happens at home. And exactly. that's uncomfortable because I am not in their home and right. don't know what to say and don't know what to help them. And so you, mm-hmm. it's very tempting to just move right along past that. Right. And you're asking therapists to sit in that discomfort too, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to stay focused on what matters the most, which is our clients, authentic and joyful participation in their yeah. real lives. Right. Right. And also one more thing to keep in mind is that productive doesn't mean happy and laughter, you know? So a lot of times, because you think that if your client is having fun, that's, that's productive, but that could be one-sided. And when we share that with a parent waiting, you know, in the waiting room, how is the session? That's that's always the first question. How is how was it? How is the session? And you know, if your client happened to be like maybe uh, have a great relationship and can do more with you as a therapist, and but the parents are not able to do that, it could really be, it's sad to them, right? Because they feel like, why can't I even get this simple thing going and, you know, help my child learn, you know? So, yeah. So that's another keep in mind. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's such an important reminder. Mm -hmm. You see, I feel like we've touched on all of these really big central core things today. If, mm-hmm. if people listening have one big takeaway, what do you hope they're walking away from this conversation holding on to? I think that we can all be different together. Everyone needs to be different together. Um, for 
parents and therapists, professionals, adult guides, I think we have to help our kids to be able to navigate the world. I mean, the mountain, the mountain is very steep to climb, right? For autistic people, for neurodivergent people, because we're talking about all kinds of issues, medical care, like housing, employment, unemployment, underemployment, you know, that mountain is very steep to climb. Why don't we work together to make sure that we help our kiddos to be the best climbers in the world? Right. But right now, all these pieces are not connecting. It's not even it doesn't even form the right kind of picture for each neurodivergent child. And that's something that I lose sleep over. It's it's sad, you know, because I see both ends. You know, I see, you know, even for autistic adults, it's it's um, it's challenging. Thank you so much, Macy. Tell us what you're working on now and where we can find you online. Okay. Projects. I'm the project queen. I love projects. (laughs) I love to host online events that would really illuminate autistic people's stories, including non-speaking autistic business owners. So I do that usually once a year, we would host like an event like this, like an autistic maker spotlight. So last year we hosted one with Caitlin and John Stamus on Instagram live. This year we'll probably do something similar, but with a different theme. Uh, Last year, we also hosted the very first all autistic led cultivating autistic entrepreneurship with over 25 autistic adults. Um, business owners, including non-speaking business owners, which was just amazing. So we want to continue to do that. We're launching a better community project. That's a new project and almost done with it. So what it is, is a sensory inclusive business, small business certification. So we want to start certifying eateries and libraries. If anyone has a clinic And you want to learn more how to be not just sensory inclusive, but also neurodivergent welcoming. If you um, have a connection with your libraries, email us, email me at macy at autismcareerpathways.org so that you can help our community become more divergent welcoming. So we created an online very easy to process information, short videos, a one pitch thingy, and ideas, neurodivergent welcoming ideas for libraries and eateries. We have recommendations for sensory, uh, mobility access, better mobility access, like everything sensory, communication, neurodivergent welcoming ideas. Yeah, all of this. Uh, But the goal is, again, to engage with our community. We can't tell them, oh, you have a restaurant, so you should do A, B, and C. No, we want to help them think and understand and then think about, oh, this is what we can, um, how we can contribute. This is how we can be more responsible to get feedback from neurodivergent customers. You know, so that's, yes, there's a lot of little things going on in there. Um, 
Yes. So if people want to participate, email us or check out our Instagram accounts. I run two Instagram accounts. One is under my name at Macy Sutantio. That's the parenting one and Autism Great Pathways. That's just the name on it. And then lastly, I am quietly building an online parent training platform. So that's in the works also with our other neurodivergent parents and professionals. So I'm trying to take care of two tracks because I can't just work on one and not make sure the beginning part is like much better. For I hear that yeah. you are yeah. the project queen. I'll link to your social media and Thank you. all of your projects that are currently up in the show notes. Thank you so much, Macy. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the two sides of the spectrum podcast. Visit learnplaythrive.com slash podcast for show notes, a transcript of the episode, and more. And if you learned something today, please share the episode with a friend or post it on your social media pages. Join me next time where we will keep diving deep into autism.